Psalm chapter 19. Let's, uh, I want to read through the entire psalm uh, this morning. Let's, let's start with verse 1 in Psalm 19, and I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More, moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we, we come before you. You truly are a great God. As the, the final song we just sang, How Great Thou Art, um, displays and how it describes you, Lord. You are a great God, and you have done great and wondrous things. And we thank you for your word in which we get to look today and, and, and get to know you better. So, Lord, we just pray that this morning as we, as we look to you um, for guidance, uh, for understanding in your word, Lord, we just pray that you grant, us, grant our hearts uh, openness to receive your word. Lord, that we might learn to follow you. Lord, we thank you again for being able to be here to worship you. We pray for those who aren't able to be here, uh, whether they're away visiting family or we know there are some that are sick. Lord, we just pray that you uh, be with them. Lay your healing hand on those who aren't aren't feeling well. Lord, we thank you. We pray that this service will be a blessing to you uh, and a blessing to our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so in our two middle children, Shane and Alicia, were a little bit younger, um, I had a set of walkie-talkies, and they loved playing with these walkie-talkies. Um, and so they would each take a walkie-talkie. They'd, one would go to one side of the yard, one would go to the other side of the yard. But early on, they had trouble communicating through them. You know, it, it takes some learning in, to learn how to use a walkie-talkie. You know, sometimes they wouldn't push the button down. Or they'd hold the button down while the other person was trying to talk, and they, they couldn't understand each other. Maybe they were their mouth was too close to the, or or was too far away. But it took there was like a learning curve there for them for a while, where they just the idea was fun and great, but they couldn't get it to work, and so they'd end up just getting frustrated because they couldn't communicate with each other across the yard. They basically had to come together to tell each other what they wanted to do, and it kind of defeated the purpose of the walkie-talkie. So they'd get frustrated, give up put them down for a while, and then try coming back to them later. Uh, In Psalm 19, though, David lets us know that God very clearly communicates with us. 
and he does so through nature and through his word. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, these 14 verses, we're going to see that God declare, God reveals himself through nature, through what, we, what um, theologians call general revelation through nature and also through special revelation in his word. And so as we look at Psalm 19 here today, let's begin with verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know, if there's, if there's one thing in nature that, that nobody can miss, it's the sky, right? No matter where you are, whether you're with David in Israel when he's writing this psalm, or you're in America, or you're in Antarctica, all you have to do is look up, and there's the sky. So David picks an obvious one because maybe if he picked a, a specific animal that was there in Israel that we don't have here, you know, the, the communication might get a little muddled in like, what, what is that? That doesn't make sense. But David clearly uh, makes an obvious pick here and says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I remember a trip that our family made out to South Dakota, out west when I was younger. And once you get out there to about South Dakota and North Dakota, everything just becomes really flat, like flat, flat. Um, and so for a kid in a car, it's pretty boring. But there was, there was one unique thing that I remember very clearly. I mean, around here, when we get thunderstorms, you can kind of see it coming. You can see the beginning of it coming. And then when it's over you, you know it's over you because you're in the middle of a thunderstorm. And then you can kind of see the tail end of it go away. Well, where we were out west, uh, it was that flat that we could see in front of us a thunderstorm was coming. We could also see where exactly where it was ending. You could see the entire storm out there in front of you. And it was just, it was an amazing thing. And that's what I'm reminded of when David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. That's the simple point that David is trying to bring to us right away in verse 1. If we can step outside and look up and see how glorious the sun and the stars and the sky are, and we are looking at a direct sign that the one who made them is also glorious. Pastor James Boyce said this, he said, This is the meaning of glory in Psalm 19. It's a revelation of God's existence and power so great that it should lead every human being on the face of the earth to seek God out, to thank him for bringing him or her into existence, and to worship him. And so what we see in creation is a testament to God's existence and God's power. And David says that it declares it. It says it out loud and clear. You can't miss it. It's like when you're driving during the part of the day when, when the, the sun is right there in front of you. How many of you have ever had to do that? Um, we, I had to commute up uh, through Allentown for a while, and it just happened to be in the morning, you know, right when the sun is right in front of you on 78, and you're just hoping that the person in front of you doesn't slow down because you can't see them anymore because all you can see is the sun. It's that glaring. It's that obvious. And that's what David is, the point David is getting across here. Hey, the heavens declare. They declare it. It's obvious. It's hard to miss. Not only that, but verse 2 and 3 tell us that nature speaks to all, but without audible words. And it does it consistently. Verse 2 says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now, how many of you remember, it's probably been two, two or three years ago, the solar eclipse. 
a couple years ago. We had that solar eclipse um, come overhead, and it was on the news for like weeks beforehand. And if you really wanted to look at it, you had to order like your special glasses and everything. And you had to be outside during that specific time when the solar eclipse happened. And if you weren't outside, if you had to be inside for work or school or whatever, you missed it. You missed it completely. Well, that's kind of the opposite of what David's saying about creation. Creation is constantly um, revealing that God is there and what he is like. It's constant, consistent. Every star we see in the clear night sky is saying God is there, God is great, God is powerful. And if you go out on a clear night, you can see a lot of stars. And every single one of them is saying God is great, God is powerful, God is there. God is great, God is powerful, God is there. But even more so, verse 4 says that it's not just that all of nature speaks and constantly, but it does so everywhere. Verse 4 says this, it says, Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So David declares that everywhere, all the time, nature is constantly, non-verbally saying, God is there, God is great. God is powerful. He is glorious. It says it again and again and again. And that's what David is declaring to us. So, for most of us then, the natural question comes up, why doesn't everybody see this, right? Why do people not see this obvious declaration of God is there, that God is powerful? Well, let's turn briefly, take your Bibles, turn briefly to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin looking in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, Paul writes this, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, if you've ever been in a pool and you've had a beach ball there, as a kid, I remember playing this game, you usually try to sink the beach ball, right? You try to cover up that beach ball and try to sink it underwater. You might get several friends to pile on top of you. Let's see if we can get this beach ball down underneath the water. Well, in essence, that's what Paul is saying that man does to the truth that God has revealed. They suppress the truth. They try to hold it down. There's something inside man, the sinfulness, the unrighteousness of man that tries to suppress the truth about God. Verse 19 says this, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Okay, Paul is agreeing with David, what David's saying. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul's saying, hey, just like David, God has declared it throughout nature that he is there, that he is present, that he is powerful, and so that every man is without excuse, but our sinfulness is suppressing that truth about God. Paul goes on in verse 21 and says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
So like David was saying, God has made it known to us throughout creation. I am here and I am God. But sinful man must deny God because as soon as we acknowledge that God exists, we acknowledge that he's the creator, then we're the creation, that he's the ruler, we are the subjects. And if we're not willing to humble ourselves under that, our, con- our sin nature will constantly suppress that truth and say, yeah, I don't believe it, there's something else out there. I don't believe it, there's got to be another, another explanation. And so this passage in Romans... <laughs> should also encourage those of us who might have family, friends, or co-workers who constantly reject the truth. The truth is that they know deep down inside. That's what the Bible is telling us, that they, deep down inside, through nature, they know that God is there, and they're constantly suppressing that. And so we have that on our side when we, const- when we talk to them about God, when we witness to them. There is that truth in there that, that, that they know that it, it's there, and... We can only hope and pray as we continue to minister to them that that God might work through that and and come through that. But there is that testimony there within them as they look around outside that, that it's there. God's there. He's there. He's powerful. So back in Psalm chapter 19, David goes on. As he speaks of nature specifically, this, specifically the sky, and how it constantly cries out about the glory of God, and in verse 4 through 6, he describes the sun as the bride, a bridegroom and a strong man. It says, in them he has set, in the sky, he has set a tent for the sun, and then verse 5, which comes out like a groom leaving his chamber, like a strong man who runs its course with joy. It rises Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the groom and the strong man illustrations here come together to give us the the image of youthful strength. And the sun, in a sense, has the strength to give life, and it makes things grow. You know, wintertime is kind of fun for about a week, right? If If we got it... A good week of snow right between Christmas and New Year's, hey, that would be great. And then, hey, let's just start, I mean, if you're like me, let's just start spring. Uh, I know the kids in the room and my kids would prefer a lot more winter, but everything out there is dead, right? Everything, everything is dead. But when springtime comes and the sun hits, right, things start to grow. And we basically want to be outside and absorb that sun as well. The sun has that power to, to help things grow. David is adamant about nature's ability and responsibility to constantly declare the glory of God. It continuously, non-verbally speaks about his greatness and power and that he is there. But every one of us who has ever played a game of charades or is married knows that non-verbal communication is easily misunderstood or misinterpreted, right? Right? Okay, there we go. Okay, we need something more. All right, it's easy to misinterpret, misunderstand nonverbal communication. I think most of us know that. Um, And God knows that we need something more as well. And so David goes on in verse 7 through 11 to tell us that God is also known through his special revelation. So we have this general revelation where it's like God is generally known throughout his creation, the things he created. We also have this special revelation 
That is the word that God has given to us, the word that God has spoken to us. Let's read in verse 7. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honeycomb and the drippings of the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, there by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. So nature tells us about God's reality and power, but not about his moral char- character. That is not about his justice, his love, his goodness, and his grace. For that, he has given us his visible word. So in these, in these verses 7 through 9 that we just read, David gives us six terms for the written revelation. He gives us six adjectives that describe it. And he also gives us six statements of what, what the Bible does. And so this morning, instead of picking those apart one by one in detail, I would like to just make a few summary statements about what uh, um, God's word that David's bringing to us here. First of all, uh, let me point out the, the name David uses for God. It has changed from the first part of the psalm. So when we look back in the beginning of the psalm, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And then now, in verse 7 and on, we, we find the law of the Lord is perfect. All right? And so in the original Hebrew, the word that he used in the beginning of the chapter for God is the word El, which is the general word, the most general word in the ancient language for God, that, that God is there. Kind of like that's what nature does. It tells you that God is out there. But when he comes to this part of the passage, talking about the specific word, he uses a second term, and that is Jehovah. That is the God who came to Moses and said, I am who I am. I am coming to rescue my people. And he communicated with Moses, and he gave Moses the law on the mount and gave him the instructions, his, his instructions, to his people, David here is now using the personal name for God. And that goes to show us that God, the God that created everything, is also a personal God who has given us personal instructions. The personal and specific God who has revealed himself to us in Scripture the uh, general re- revelation, again, tells us that God is out there, but the specific, a special revelation tells us personally who he is and what he has done. Now, David transitions from the life-giving sun in the sky to the life-giving word from God, the word that is able to, as it says, revive the soul, that is, give life. It's able to make those that are simple, those that are ignorant, This word is able to make them wise. This word is able to rejoice the heart. This word is is able to enlighten the eyes. In other words, God's word is what gives us spiritual life. What all these descriptions have in common is that the word of God is ultimately instructions to be obeyed. Now, often when we think about instructions or rules, uh, our natural reaction is to see see it as a list of rules 
that are given that weigh us down and that keep us from having fun and joy. Right? The same we might often think of the rules of the road, you know, the speed limit. Oh, man, I can't have fun. I can, I can only go so fast. Or the rules about taxes, right? It's like, oh, these things are holding me back. But that's not true when there is a good lawgiver, when there is a good rule maker. Um, I've used this illustration with the teens, but take a board game. Okay, so suppose you got a new board game for Christmas. Um, my son Shane bought me Risk, the Lord of the Rings d- edition for Christmas. So I've actually never played Risk, so I have to read through the instructions to kind of figure out how to play it. But imagine me getting Risk, the game, him get- getting me that, and he's like, okay, let's play it. And so we just open it up, we set the rules aside, and we just start putting the pieces out, and we just start moving pieces around. And Shane all of a sudden takes his hand and just clears the board and says, I win. Okay. It's important to have rules, isn't it, when you're playing the game? <laughs> Otherwise, who knows who, who wins? Who knows? Nobody's really having fun except for the guy who cleared the board, I guess. But the same is true of God's word. When it comes from a good lawgiver, instruction, good instruction is good. All right? And that is why God's word is so important in our lives. Now, if you're like me, you may often think, yeah, the Bible is great. But wouldn't it be better if I could talk to God face-to-face? Have you ever thought that? You know what? I'd rather just talk to God right now. Face-to-face, let's just talk. Um, but listen, listen to these words. Let me read these words from Peter in Second Peter. And remember, Peter was a guy who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. And in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is going to recall that time when he and a couple other disciples were on the mountain and... Um, Jesus was glorified, and there was a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what Peter is talking about in this passage I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 17. He says, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the, magi, magi, uh, magi, magi, excuse me, <clears throat> by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. All right, so Peter is recalling this episode, what happened, what went on there. He goes on in verse 19 and says this, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in dark places. So what Peter is saying here is that even though he had a great experience at Jesus' transfiguration and God spoke to them, he says we now have the prophetic word of God more fully confirmed. One pastor writes this. He says, Peter says that there exists an even greater witness to the truth. We have the word of the prophets made more certain in his, in his testimony. Another, another translation says says this about it. He says, it says, more, it is a more sure word of prophecy. That is, it's more sure even than the voice that Peter heard from heaven. The Bible is our true word from God. And as the writer of Hebrews says, he says this, the Bible is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And Paul also says in 2 Timothy, he says that the Bible is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete, equipped for every good work. So with that in mind, it's no wonder that David says in verse 10 in our psalm, Psalm 19, he says this, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now, unfortunately for me, that's not my natural reaction to God's rules. But this is David's reaction when he understands just how great God's word to him actually is. And yet I think many of us are often quick to say or think, you know, if I, if I just had a million dollars, right? You never ever do that dream lottery thing. Man, if I just won a million dollars. Or if, if I would have just bought Amazon stock when it was like a dollar a share, you know, man, I would be set for life. I would have that worry of, of uncertainty would be gone. Or maybe after a hard week, it's like, you know, if I just had my favorite meal or, or, or was able to sit down at my favorite restaurant and eat or just have a bowl of ice cream, you know, it would make the, it would make the day better. Or if I could just have that, that dream vacation, you know, that, that vacation I've been dreaming about and just go on that, I think I'd be set for another year of, of working my job, you know, or, or, you know, being in school or whatever. And yet, if we look at what David's heart is saying, David says, David says, if I had quality time with my God and his word, I would be able to face the day this week or even this year or the rest of my life. That's what David's saying. He's saying, hey, it's, it's to be desired more than, than gold. It's to be desired more than honey, the things that taste good. But too often we are quick to run to other things and don't satisfy, that don't satisfy or satisfy for but a moment. Not only is it instructions, God's word, God's word instructions that are life-giving, but it also warns us of that which is in danger is a danger to us and is also a path to great reward. According to verse 11, he says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God's word is what warns us of danger. God's word is what, in following it, there will be great reward. And so we have David here telling us, Hey, look outside, look at nature. It's hard to miss it. God is there. God is powerful. Nature is proclaiming that. And he says, look at God's word. You know, in God's word, we find God's moral character and his instruction for us. But that's not where David stops. You know, oftentimes, oftentimes I find myself reading God's word or meditating on, on God and nature just for the fact that, okay, now I, can, now I can explain this to my kids, now I can explain this to the teens, now I can explain this for a sermon. But that's not the ultimate end. That's not David's ultimate end when he is, is speaking of God's revelation. Look down in verses 12 and 14, and we see how David uses it to apply to his life. In verse 12 it says, Who can discern his errors? And then he says to God, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So verse 12, David expresses his desire to be free and forgiven of hidden sins. The sins that we don't even see that are there. All right, this is not this is not him saying, okay, I did these in secret and nobody else saw. David's here proclaiming, God, you know what? I know there's in, in my life there's sins I don't even see. You know, that, that angry reaction that I, that I had towards somebody who mistreated me or the greediness that I had when, when the choices were few, when there was that last piece of cake. Or, 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 and so there's, there's these sins that David knows, these things are there and, and I don't even see them. He's willing to admit it. And um, there's a book by Jerry Bridges that, that's called Respectable Sins. And in that book, he talks about the sins that we so often tolerate, the sins we don't often notice in our life. And that's what David is talking about here in verse 12. He's saying, forgive me, um, take care of these innocent faults, these hidden faults, these hidden errors in my life. Verse 13, on the other hand, is a plea to be rid of intentional sins. Your translation might say presumptuous sins. This is just David saying, hey, the sins that I know I'm committing, all right? And that's, that's the scary thing, because there's sins that we know we're committing, but we do it anyway because, hey, this is what I want at the moment, all right? David's concern goes from the sins that are hidden to the ones that he willfully commits. His desire is to be cleansed from all the sins in his life, everything that makes him unclean. His reaction to all the clear revelation from God and about God is a deep desire to be blameless in God's eyes. Not only that, but verse 14 tells us David's desire to want to day in and day out be acceptable to God. From the very words that proceed out of his mouth down to the very thoughts and intentions of his heart, David wanted all of it to be pleasing in the sight of his great God. That is what, what viewing God's revelation should do to each and every one of us. That's what it did to David. You know, David looking around outside, hey, this is, I can see God out there. I can see God in his word. And that causes me to want to be clean in front of him, wanting to be um, innocent in his eyes. You know, it's easy for us to kind of make ourselves look innocent to other people. You know I, I, you know, I can clean myself up and come in here on Sunday morning and preach a sermon and, and make it all look good and, and interact with you, and, and you guys think I'm perfect, I'm sure. Um, but the truth is, I'm not. Uh, you can just ask my wife. Uh, no, don't ask her. Uh, we don't want to start that. But <laughs> David's not saying, hey, I just, I just want to look good to other people. He's saying, I want to look good before my God the one that can see the hidden sins, the one that knows when I willfully sin against him. That's what all this revelation, what his consideration as he considers and looks at revelation does to David's heart. He wants to be clean before his God. From the skies and the rest of nature to the very word of God in his book, all of us should be driven like David to a desire to be cleansed from all sin and live a life pleasing and acceptable to him. So let me kind of wrap it up this morning with a a last illustration. In one of Dr. Seuss's most well-known books, Horton Hears a Who, I'm sure most all of you have heard 
uh, the book uh, A Horton Hears a Who. But what goes on in that book is there is an elephant named Horton who lives in a jungle. And one day he hears this, this tiny, faint voice. And he comes to realize that this tiny, faint voice is coming from a speck of dust. And on that speck of dust, he, he find, finds out by talking to the voice, he finds out that there is an entire village of uh, creatures called Who's. You know, and the village is called Whoville. All right, and they're, they're all, this entire village is on this tiny speck of dust. And so Horton decides, hey, I need to protect them. Somebody needs to protect this, these guys. They could, you know, if it, if it rains, they could get drowned out. You know, if, if they get trampled on, they could all get destroyed. All right, so he's, he sets out. He, he decides, I'm going to protect this, these people because the, the saying that he uses, uh, a person's a person no matter how small. That's what the saying throughout the book. Um, and so he determines to do that. But there's others in the jungle that can't hear the voice. They don't hear that small voice. And so they think Horton's gone a little crazy. All right. And so they decide in order to help Horton, we got to get rid of this speck of dust. And so they start trying to challenge him and trying to get rid of that, that speck of dust so that Horton can return to normal. And so the, the, throughout the extent of the book, Horton is trying to get convince all the who's in Whoville on that speck of dust to make as much noise as they can so that everybody else can hear. And so the mayor of Whoville goes around and they make all kinds of noise and they get as many people as they can making noise. And finally, when they get that last person also making noise, they found one guy who wasn't making noise. There was enough noise to go out from that speck that the others heard. And they changed their mind. They're like, hey, this is something that we need to protect. I think sometimes, with all the noise going on in life, we might be tempted to think that God is the who's on the speck, a tiny voice to which we must strain to listen. But the truth is, according to David in Psalm 19, the op- quite the opposite. He tells us that everywhere we look throughout the earth, creation is constantly and in every place declaring that God is present and he is powerful and he is glorious. And the word of God that he has given to us is his good instruction for us to listen to and obey. So in the end, as in the psalm, the question presents itself to us, will you respond like David did? With a desire to confess and be forgiven of sin so that you can be viewed blameless in his sight, and a desire for your life to be lived in a way that is pleasing to the one who created you and has spoken to you through his word. You know, as we start out a new year here, what greater way to start than to go to God by focusing on him, on his word, and having that reflect onto our hearts to draw us closer and make us more like him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.